Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. Today, we talk with our good buddy, Blaine Reddy. Blaine talks about the benefits of working as a fireman for outdoorsmen. We also go back and forth with some stories from our Federation days. We wrap up the show with a full breakdown of my first MLF event of the year in Louisiana. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. Man, Nick has got quite the surprise for us. Um, let's just get right into this. Nick, what, what's up, dude? What are you wearing? Where did you get that? <laughs> what is that? Well, it's too bad that this is only audio. It's, we need to have a video element because it won't we'll be as it. funny. It's like listening to uh, Joe Rogan and they start talking about stuff. And you're like, well, I'm listening. I can't see this. But I, uh, um, you know, I just I create tremendous value um, on social media. And so even though I've never really gone hunting, um, this, this hunting apparel brand called QUU, right, Rob? Is that how you pronounce that? Stop. Kiwi, Kiwiuyu. I'm not even going to entertain you. Kiwi, right? They're from south. They're uh, they're south of the equator, right, over in New Zealand. But uh, no, so I got one of their prototype hunting jackets here. And what's cool is is that you know it's camouflage, so it's 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 solid red, solid yellow, and solid royal blue. Rob's done. He's already drinking his smart water. He's moved on. The only thing you're going to blend into is San Francisco. Well, maybe I'm out there hunting in the chop zone, bro. You don't even know. Maybe. But what's nice is, is that sometimes when you get hot hunting, you can just have the sleeves for sun protection. So, you know, it's a flexible, it's a prototype. They sent it to me directly um, as a result of this podcast. So I've been making big moves in the last two weeks since we've been podcasting together. You know, some, some of the podcast hosts have been qualifying for, you know, knockout rounds on ridiculously difficult fisheries. Others of us are just, you know, inking big deals as influencers on social media, and, and that's been me. That's pretty impressive, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I qualify for knockout rounds because I'd like to get knocked out, but we'll get into that <laughs> later. Um, but, dude, that is that is pretty sharp. I took a picture here, so we'll make sure to post that. And okay, then underneath well, no, that. We have other options, right? Because it's also a vest. If you, you know, if you need that, too, it's, it's good. So, the T-shirt's bottom. actually pretty sweet. You're just ruining a good T-shirt. Well, I made this t-shirt, bro. You can buy it on our website. You should go buy one. You'll be our fourth sale all the time. This is called the tune, the bass tune on like anglershappyhour.com. <laughs> I think the vest really suits me the best though. This really a, though, where did you get it? Okay. All right. I have to be serious. So this was a very thoughtful Christmas present. This is the Lego um, line at Target. So this is a, oh, nice. a $29 Lego jacket, but it's excellent because it's very poofy. So when you have the body style of a praying mantis and you put this jacket on, you look like 50 Cent did in the halftime performance <laughs> last night. I look oh, super dude. buff. He didn't look bad. I mean, hey, but should tell you made a comment, but hey, dude, he didn't look bad. How old is yeah. 50 Cent? He looked good. Uh, yeah, he looks great. I mean, coming from me, I literally look like a praying mantis. Um, he, uh, he just like in his day in the fur in that music video, he was literally as shredded as, you know, he was like a Julian salad. He was so shredded. Now he just looks like a man in his early fifties who enjoys a good burger and a beer. Right. And who doesn't? So it's all good. I emptied the dishwasher during halftime. Sorry. You, Not you surprising at all. Not surprising yeah. at all. Yeah. That's it. it was, <laughs> Nick's it was a, disgusted with me. That's hilarious. Oh, it's, at least it's mutual, right? You don't like yeah. my QU 
hunting jacket and you and i don't like you not watching the super bowl halftime yeah. show get this right. so let's move on before we lose all of our listeners yeah i will <laughs> say this three. though okay so everyone on the internet was joking about how old you are if you enjoyed the halftime show right like it it was uh-huh. from definitely from an era where nick and i were in high school and and you saw all the memes on the internet you know if you enjoyed the if you danced at the halftime show make sure you would you took advil at bedtime so you weren't <laughs> sore in the morning and stuff like that well dude imagine how old you must be if that was actually be after your generation right so like oh yeah like in rob's case he's really old but, because but i'm a huge fan of eminem seriously used the to listen to him or all the, the time are you serious i'm dead serious Interesting. huge fan that's cool yeah. all right all right rob what's your favorite eminem song let's let's call your bluff i don't i don't even know uh, songs of any then sing it to me too sing i told the hook. nick about uh nope. who did i tell nick about kid rock eminem all that there you um, go right on that's cool, dude. Well, uh, with that being said, Rob, what what's up your way, dude? After you or before you were emptying the dishwasher, what were you up to this week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing some guide trips that were they were okay. I mean, the people were great, the trips were great. Fishing is uh, it's just okay right now, but we're a couple of weeks away from it. Get to get you know where it's going to get really good. But um, got my boat all together. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on the podcast, but. Uh, Man, I'm I'm just stoked with my new Garmin graphs, and it's it's like a learning experience for myself every time I go to the lake. So um, it's I I, I kind of have a new spark in my fishing because of that, which is pretty cool. So that's cool. Do you have me. do you have clients now that like instantly give you elevated cred when they see that? Are they like made the right call here? Yeah, I was able to even trim my beard and. <laughs> maintain that credibility hey yeah yeah normally <laughs> you just gotta have like, like easy talk that's again. a good right. point yeah the longer the beard the like the more like of a real salty guide you yep look like yep. when they get on your boat yeah yep. hey yep. how about this for a great throwback story and you guys can contribute to make it the story it needs to be but was it was scooter a hundred years ago who had a client who was talking trash on on a uh, something right wasn't it wasn't it his electronics for whatever reason weren't working or something i can't remember what it was oh yeah this guy gets off his boat they it was oh, a bed yeah, fishing it that. was a, yep. a bed fishing day right They're bed fishing all day looking at the fish <laughs> with their eyes and uh, they get off the boat and uh, the guide client is like walking down the dock and someone asks how they did or wait what Am I missing? Did he say it to him? He says, your graphs, maybe next time you'll get your electronics fixed so we can actually catch Something fish. like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He said. And you don't even need a front graph because it's, you know, 10 feet of visibility and there's 41 million fish on The clueless and- client right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guy couldn't cast. He couldn't. I mean, it was complete. A lot of it was his fault. But it was the front graphs not being turned on that yeah, day. Yeah. Maybe that next time catch- you'll get your graphs fixed. So Rob, take note, turn on all 31 of your new screens up there. And even if you have like Netflix playing on them, at least they'll have something to watch. Yeah. So the problem with credibility and all the electronics is when you get a guy on your boat that knows more about them than you do, that's when there's a problem. Fortunately, that hasn't happened yet, but, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but. That will be good. I need Josh to have an extra day to get out and teach me a lesson on them. So. Hopefully that that'll happen. Back to my fly fishing guiding days when yeah. the clients always knew more than I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing got... worse than that. That never happened for me in my long guiding career. That was easy. 
I just dominated. Yeah. How about you, Nick? What's what's up? Bob just still wearing this QU jacket. I want to know yeah. about Josh. I see Josh okay. is back in the Angler's Happy Hour den. Um, and so he's been around the world in 80 days. What's up with you, man? Yeah, you know, I'm just, I've got a couple days at home. I'm home for three days. February is a super busy month, like I said before. I think these are the only three days I'll be home all month. So um, figured we'd get together and knock out a podcast. But I was down in uh, Louisiana, our last podcast. I was getting ready to hit the road. Uh, fished out of West Monroe, Louisiana for the first Bass Pro Tour event of the year with MLF. And, um, you know, it was one of those tournaments going in. It had huge potential, right? We were on some good bodies of water, but it was a lot of it was very weather dependent. We talked about it, you know, if we get great weather all winter long, it was like, if we have a good warming trend, we're going to have an amazing tournament. And uh, it also might be the most miserable tournament we've ever fished. You know, it just kind of depends. And we hit it. We hit it definitely during one of those horrendous fronts. I mean, the worst front of the year landed our first day of practice. So for the first time ever, they canceled a day of practice, which I mean, literally we've been fishing tournaments forever. I've never seen an official day of practice get canceled, but it was freezing rain and heavy North wind all day long. And in hindsight, I was pretty pissed off when they canceled that first day, but in hindsight, it was the right thing to do. And I'm thankful they did. And the reason is first off driving to and from the lake in freezing rain is not good being out there all day would have been miserable. But if our boats would have got soaked by that rain and then we fished in those cold temperatures the next few days, it would have been an absolute disaster. Like you couldn't have gotten in and out of your compartments. You'd people would be slipping into the lake off their boats. I guarantee it. Um, just the whole thing would have been a nightmare. So we got to sit for the first day of practice inside and watch it sleet all day. And then think about how the heck are we going to catch a bass in the shallow stump laden reservoir when the water temp has now dipped into the low forties and, you know, dealing with post-frontal conditions. So the first day of practice, it was just as cold. It was like 22, 23, 24 when we got on the water, heavy North wind, cloudy, the rain was done, but just clouds. We had some snow flurries at one point mid morning and, uh, Dude, I was so bundled up. You know, you know my tricks. I always use those hand, the stick on hand warmers. And I had two pairs of long underwear and I had those hand warmers, uh, you know, stuck all over my body over the first set of long underwear, you know, in my crotch, my thighs, my back, my tailbone, my neck. Um, then just like every piece of warm clothing I had. It, being from Arizona, dude, it was going to be a cold one for me. And it was a practice. It was one of those things where like, it was actually really difficult to fish because of the amount of ice that would ice up in your fish, in your reel, in your rod guides and stuff like that up till about noon, you know, you would flip, you'd get the ice out of your guides and you go to flip and you'd be peeling your line off. So the bait would sink. But by then it was already stuck. Like, so your bait would just pendulum back. Like your bait would hit the water and then your rod guides would freeze. So it would pendulum back. So the bait couldn't sink straight down. It was just a, a bear to kind of fish all day. Ended up getting three bites on a Berkeley Fritz side. Um, couple real nice ones and uh, one just barely scorable. So in those conditions, 
three bites was more than I expected to get. And uh, talking to a couple of the other guys, that was kind of, everyone had like one to five bites that day. So the fish were playing a little bit more than I expected, but still tough, hard to get a lot to go off of. And I went into the tournament with a really conservative approach. I mean, I was thinking two scoreable bass a day is probably going to get you into the cut. It ended up being just a little bit more, but I was super conservative the first day of the tournament. I focused exclusively on rock, which is, is a no brainer, but I was like, I'm not going to overthink it. I just have to get through this first lake to get to the knockout round and have a shot at Caney when things get better. So I threw a flat sided crankbait, a Berkeley Fritz side on rock all day long. And the whole thing about it this time of year is you might have a really obvious piece of riprap or something like that and go down and fish it and not catch a fish, but you may have missed that fish by six inches. And they're so lethargic that they're not going to swim six inches to get it, right? So no problem fishing behind another guy, even though it's something that's getting pounded, someone might fish behind you and catch one or vice versa. And also if that water temp is inching up throughout the day, a fish may actually move up into position randomly. And I watched it happen the first day several times. I fished a real busy area and we were all doing the same thing. We're all just kind of cranking all these different rocky areas. And uh, I was in a bad rotation and just didn't make it happen. I caught one fish, um, a couple guys around me caught a few and a few big ones. A couple guys around me also didn't catch anything, but like, I just wasn't one of the guys that had that breakout day and time things, right? I was in 27th out of the uh, 40 guys in the group, need to be in the top 20. On the day off, I kind of didn't want to do that again. You know, I wasn't going to go in that merry-go-round again and just hope to get lucky. So I changed the game plan up a little bit and uh, really focused on flipping. I was, you know, you could, you could flip a lot of different baits this time of year, but I really, a jig is a, a main go-to, but I decided to flip a tube. You know, it was, it's a real subtle bait. Um, when it's extra tough, I feel like you might get a couple extra bites on a tube over a jig. So I flipped a tube all day and uh, got into a couple areas and just fished really, really slow. Um, first period, I hadn't caught anything until like one minute left in the period. And there was a nice little bridge in the back of a pocket with a, a pretty juicy lay down right on the edge of the bridge. And I flipped a, a four pounder off of that. And it put me in 20th place. So starting the second period, I was right on the bubble and, uh, you know, just needed to catch some fish. So I fished through the rest of this creek, didn't catch anything, got into the next one and got on a good stretch. I caught a, uh, a three pounder and then missed another bite. And at this point I'm in like 19th and they bring a camera over because they love to get, the guys on the bubble and get all that drama and I'm about to go into try another creek and I'm like man we had the break it's been an hour since I was on that good stretch I just fished down let's turn around and go down it and I went back down it and caught four good ones <laughs> down the same nice. bank I had just fished and these fish had just moved up right so uh flipped those four good ones and moved up to eighth maybe even five and uh moved up to eighth and made the cut easily so that was go ahead Rob so you make a drastic change from throwing a crankbait on your first day. You have a day off and then you decide to go flip. Had you ventured into any of that type of stuff in practice or was this just something you just thought of doing and just made a change? Cause it sounds like to, you were all in on the change 
um, very, very difficult to do. Is that? Well, dude, and I'll give, I got to give a credit to, to my buddies who were, you know, we'll talk to each other through the tournament, other anglers that are fishing mm -hmm. the tournament. And a couple of them had had, had some good bites flipping days prior. So that definitely played into it. Obviously okay. if your buddies are catching flipping, you better pick up a flipping stick, but you just don't have that many choices, man. When the bites like that, you know, the lake is laden with cypress trees and um, flipping cypress trees is, is definitely, a, and docks and stuff like that is a big deal. But what was interesting for me was uh, the cypress trees never played out, man. Like I, I went out with, with, with the expectations to flip cypress trees all day, never caught a keeper, never caught a scoreable off a cypress tree. Every fish was on a, uh, some type of lay down or horizontal cover. And this time of year when it's that, that cold, if you, if you've got, a cypress tree or a regular stump sitting right here and a lay down sitting 10 feet from it. In my opinion, nine times out of 10, you're going to catch that fish off the lay down. They, they hold There's a lot more surface area for the sun to beat on. And I feel like they just hold more heat. So it's so key to be around some, you know, to have some lay downs this time of year, all the way through the pre-spawn. Have you seen that situation before? I mean, to be honest with you, I, I can't really say. I mean, I haven't fished those extreme colds, like cold conditions like that. And if I have, it hasn't been anywhere near where there's lay down type, you know, horizontal. That's I mean, cool. Think, think about in Arizona, there's very little horizontal cover. So. You're right. Yeah. It's, it, it's gotta be like way up the salt and it's, there's not even that much of it and stuff like yeah. that. It, it, um, some of our lakes, but yeah, on, on that lake, it was crazy. There'd be 50 cypress trees and you flip all 50 and you come up to one little lay down and catch your bass <laughs> off that lay down and then fish That's nuts. You had to keep flipping the cypress trees cause there's just so many and they're so juicy fish 25 more. And then there's a little <laughs> stick laying horizontally in the water and there's a fish on that. It was really interesting, but you um, needed a chainsaw during practice. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> dude. I had to start knocking stuff down hmm. next time. Husqvarna will bring the next the next time they have a cold tournament. It'll be sponsored by Husqvarna. Heck yeah, yeah, I like it. But uh, so we went to Caney, and, and so that Darbone had some pretty good solid fish in it. It wasn't like eye popping, but lots of like three to five pounders. But man, uh, the next two lakes that we fished, Caney and then Bussy Break, loaded with big fish. Caney <laughs> is a small lake. It's like five thousand acres. Completely different. Very little. No cypress trees. Uh, there's a little bit of deep timber for sure, but lots of hydrilla and really clear water, like six foot visibility in this lake. And um, just a totally different lake. Very cool. But seven of the top 10, I think seven of the top 10 biggest bass ever caught in Louisiana came out of that little 5,000 acre lake. And you think about the amount of people that fish in Louisiana and the amount of water. It's mind blowing that one body of water has the genetics and the recipe for that. Yeah, you so something, Nick? we're just going to build off of what you're saying there. Like, so how far away was that from Darbone? About an hour. Why is it such a different ecosystem? Why is it like, is the drainage different there? Like, why is it clear? Why are there no cypresses? Do you know? I, that was blowing my mind that it was, yeah, when I think of fishing in Louisiana, I think of what Darbone looked like. So then when I watched yep. that day, I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. And what's crazy is, dude, like, I would have expected I would have done a lot better on Caney than Darbone, right? Like I was getting a hard time from my roommates because like after the tournament, dude, I caught him in the mud hole and then the tournament and it's clear like like we have back home. I got my butt whooped. So James was calling me the swamp master and, and saying I forgot how to fish clear water and stuff. But uh, 
It was funny, dude. I, and I really kind of went into Caney even with kind of that Bubba, with that Bubba mindset of not, and, and I'm not saying that derogatory at all, just like, but like heavier line, heavier tackle from Darbone. And I was like, these fish, the water's clear at Caney, but I think I, I'll be able to kind of power fish still. And I don't think I'm going to have to get crazy with finesse. Right. Uh-huh. And, uh, Dude, these fish were very smart. It's a heavily pressured lake. And, the, and remember, they're Florida strain fish, and the water was very cold. The water was still in the mid-40s when we started the day. So Temperamental. <laughs> Jacob Wheeler and Jordan Lee put on a show. They each caught, I think, seven and eight fish, some toads. But really, it was a struggle for a lot of the field. I mean, like half the field had one fish or less or two fish or less, and it was a real struggle, dude. I ended up in practice, we got, we got a half day of practice out there. So I went out and I spent the entire practice idling. I knew it was a risk, but I wanted to see if I could find a massive school and light it up out deep. Or, or, or the other thing I did was I marked all the hydrilla and was trying to mark the, the freshest, best hydrilla and stuff like that. So I had laid out when we got out there, I had a, a map laid out in front of me of tons of brush piles, tons of hydrilla, stuff like that. I was going to go figure it out during the tournament. But I did practice for an hour, uh, fish for an hour during that practice day. And I had like 10 fish follow my jerkbait and not bite. And it was a little concerning to me. I was like, (laughs) huh, I'm probably just throwing the wrong one. And it's just practice. So I'm not going to bother changing it. But I was a little bit nervous that I'd never caught one in an hour. And uh, first day of the tournament rolls around, got a couple of deep schools. I can't get them fired up. So I go shallow and the fish following the jerk bait began and it never stopped. And if I didn't have a hundred big bass follow my jerk bait, I didn't have one. It was unbelievable. Wow. And watching them on live scope, you know, not seeing with my eyes, but uh-huh. you know, a, a common situation. And I know Wheeler caught him jerk baiting. Jordan caught him a couple other finesse ways, but um you'd have maybe a brush pile, a big brush pile and the brush piles in 15 to 18 feet of water. And the top of the brush pile is in seven feet. And you look at live scope, you get 40, 50, 60 feet off that brush pile. And you see three big blobs in the top of the brush pile. And those are big bass. And almost every brush pile had it. And you'd cast your jerk bait way past and get that thing down. And you get it to run about the depth of the top of the brush pile, maybe a couple feet above. And these fish, every single time, here comes your jerk bait, and the fish slowly come up to it. And then you twitch it, and the fi- if you twitch your bait a foot, the fish moves a foot. If you leave it, the fish stays there. Then you twitch it another foot, and the fish goes another foot. But he never gets on the bait. And I had three fish commit doing that. Uh, lost two of them and caught one of them. It was like a 4-4. Four, four. But out of all those fish dude i was pulling my hair out it was unbelievable and that will happen to a lot of guys but a couple guys were able to trigger them and i'm really curious what jacob did to get him to go i mean i tried a couple different diving depths i obviously tried a lot of retrieves i tried a couple colors i didn't get crazy i wasn't digging through my jerkbait box trying 30 but i tried i think three or four different baits and i tried a lot of different retrieves and um left there super frustrated so i didn't get to go on to the final day at bussy break but did you guys catch any of that knockout round did you watch the guys catch him at all um i watched a little bit of it yeah but i think jordan lee was throwing up like a ned type he rig. caught a lot of money i heard that and yeah. and, and dude, then he's so, he's so and so, he's just got this crazy natural knack dude there were 
I would be willing to bet he's the only guy in the field that even tied a Ned rig on. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just amazing that he just ties on a Ned rig in that situation and fishes it. It's, it's crazy. It's clear water and it makes sense after the fact, but dude, I mean, in Louisiana, in a lake that's got a bunch of 10 pounders swimming around to, to go out and catch them on a Ned rig. It's yeah, like, crazy. It's, it's impressive. Is there, I mean, is there anything that you would do different um, with all those followers to, I mean, is there something you're driving home? You're like, man, I should have tried this. Or, I mean, it's terrible when they do that. I mean, I, I've, I've had it out here in super clear water where you see them follow it all the time and you can't get the darn things to bite. But I remember one situation you'd have all these fish following and it's dead flat calm. So you see them, right. And the wind picks up, you go back down that bank and smash them. Obviously that's, it's yeah. Timing. They're, they're ready to commit. Yep. Well, I think timing's huge for sure. And uh, that's a good question. And ultimately I left with more questions than answers for sure. Um, You know, but the thing is you're a little bit, I also heard after the fact that Jordan had caught a couple on a small Kitech or a small, um, not a Kitech, a, a just small Kitech style swim bait. Yeah. That's definitely, I mean, but dude, you're very limited when the water is 46 degrees. It's really clear and you're out there in the conditions you have that day. So like in those conditions, I just threw, kept running through my head. I'm like, dude, nothing's better than a jerk bait. I, I agree. You can't, but. you can't come. I tried to, to fish a deep crankbait and kind of bounce it through the trees and stuff a little bit, but like we can't throw an A-rig. The timing thing is a really big deal. And I did like when I had a good brush pile, I would hit the brush piles five, six times throughout the course of the day, which is brush pile fishing in general. But I still couldn't think, you know, I threw a drop shot through the trees a lot. Um, I couldn't think of a better bait than a jerk bait. And, and ultimately after hearing that Wheeler caught him on the jerk bait, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. I, yep. 75% of the field was out there throwing a jerk bait. You know, a couple so guys caught him on lipless and hydrilla and stuff, but go ahead. So you're rotating between the brush piles. Would those fish be set back up on the brush pile like they were when you came up to them prior? Yeah, for sure. Just give them a little rest and they would set right back up. Yeah, I tried from different angles, you know. I mean, I tried the tricks that the yep. fishermen try, yep. right? And, and yep. there's, I'm not saying, that I'm sure there were tricks that I, I would have liked to have known and tried, but I, 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 I pulled all the cards out on these fish and it was just one of those days that uh, that, that happened so I left pretty frustrated from that I ended up finishing uh 20 25th that day so 27th overall with the two automatic qualifiers from before so overall it was a decent start but um you know that day was frustrating but I'll take it I mean those Louisiana yep. tournaments are they can go uh one way or another for me so it, it was an okay start anyways then the final day was so fun to watch. This is one of the few events where I got to watch. I almost watched the whole entire thing, you know, with it on in the background and checking nice. in on it. And, <clears throat> and now it's funny. We're talking about it. It's like, I can't remember hardly any of it because I have ruined all my brain cells apparently, but the final day was pretty exciting and watching it all come down to it. And, you know, I think, uh, I'm having a brain fart. What's Brandon's last name? The dude who won Bradley Roy, Bradley, Bradley. Roy, Bradley yeah. Roy, you know, like, man, it looked like, talk about pressure right like he was leading for like 45 minutes to go in the third period and everyone was thinking like oh he's just gonna like get bumped and then those had to have been the most painful 45 minutes because he never got bumped right like uh oh, homeboy dude, caught crazy. 11 right and it's like it's going on and all of a sudden he's like kind of back in the the, the fold yep. of 
competitive, you know, has a shot and then it just ended. It was just, Dude. it was so fun to watch. That's cool. To hear. Almost well, a 13. That yeah. Thing was 13. 13. Correct. He had 12 and yeah. High 12. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh my God. If not only did he have two fishermen within a pound of him, but it was Jordan Lee and Brian Thrift. <laughs> 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 yeah. They, they might catch a fish, you know? So that's yeah. very stressful. And it was fun, dude. I, I was the same way. I had a day off before I had to take some sponsors fishing. So I was in a hotel room and I, I watched the entire thing. Randy yeah. Howell's fish was, was unbelievable to watch, but so there weren't many fish caught that day, but they were all toads. But did you notice how they all kind of came in bunches? It was impressive. Okay. Uh -huh. Like just, it's amazing. Those Florida strain fish, how sensitive they are to whatever the heck is going on in the atmosphere. There would be no one to catch a bass for an hour and 10 minutes. And then there'd be four big ones caught in a 10 minute span by different guys. And yeah. then shut off for 45 minutes. <laughs> and then you'd see three big ones caught. Boom, boom, boom. And it's like, dude, it just blows your mind. Um, how how that how that works yeah there's a lot of alchemy what a crazy fish right like it just has its own parameters and it operates inside of those yeah it's, i don't think there's a way to to you know dial that in and, and hit that nail on the head but it's just interesting that yeah, was makes for was, entertaining watching yeah that was one of those tournaments where there was very few fish caught but one of the most exciting to watch like it doesn't yeah. always have to be a bunch of fish to be exciting but everyone likes seeing a big fish caught like that and then there's a couple of good, like not good from the the viewer's perspective, terrible for the guy, but a couple of painful fish losses at the boat, man. And like Brian Thrift, yeah, <laughs> that that Damn. cost him the tournament too. Dude. It did, it did. You can tell he was in some pain at the end of the day. Not knowing only that. like just knowing what he had on the line, dude. Like he visibly was like more upset than the other guys for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was a giant that he dumped on the side of the boat. I, I, I mean, six plus probably, right? Five plus at least. So. And he lost by a pound, you know. But yeah. It always happens to somebody, right? Every single yeah. tournament, there's that guy. Yeah, so fun fun stuff, man. It was cool for sure. That's cool. Well, dude, I've rambled on forever. We've been sitting here for almost two hours. Do you guys have anything else before we uh, introduce Blaine and kind of um, send it over to him? No, I don't. It's uh, it was fun talking to to Blaine, and I think the listeners will enjoy that. We're gonna take a nice deep dive into uh, getting into tournament fishing, and uh, you know where to where to choose to go if you want to have an end game. So pretty fun stuff. Yeah, yeah Rob, I gotta run. I gotta I gotta pay him for saying nice things about me. So yeah, about three hours <laughs> into the interview, guys, if you just want to turn it off because he starts saying nice things, it's Valentine's Day, and so Blaine's just blowing smoke over to Rob, and it's, it's nauseating. Can you introduce him, Rob? Just, uh, you know, we're all buds with him, but Rob goes uh, the farthest back. Can you just kind of give the anglers a little background before we send it over to him? Yeah, Blaine's a, a good buddy of mine. I've known him for about 24 years. He's uh, a Mesa fire captain. Um, he's an incredible outdoorsman. He actually um, called in my first bull elk for me in 2003. So uh, he traveled with me on the Bassmaster Western um, open tournaments for the last two or three years that I did it. Uh, he's the, uh, Arizona Bass Nation president and he's taken it so serious compared to a normal, uh, Bass Nation president would, would fish all the tournaments and just be one of the guys there and ha happen to have that name. Right. But he takes it serious. Um, 
he's not even fishing the tournaments. He's just up there and wants to run a good, a good that's solid cool. tournament, which is really, that's a huge commitment, but that mm-hmm. just, it just tells you what kind of guy he is. He's just a good quality guy, great friend. Um, and he's a team player through and through, right? Like, oh, little, I know you the can guy, tell that's just him. Yeah. I mean, if you, he'd give you a shirt off, off his back. He's that guy. Like you could call him and he would drive three hours to help you. He's just a, that i mean there's no Without better way doubt. to explain it so yeah that's cool well he's yeah. he's got some great insights you know if you if you're looking to get into tournament fishing if i mean this is a great episode for everybody right that that's thinking about fishing tournaments or, or he's got some great insights on a lot of different stuff even boat electronics but if you are a young angler that is thinking about taking your fishing to another level eventually i think this is going to be a great interview for you for a couple of different reasons. And we'll leave it at that. You guys can listen and, and check it out. But um, Blaine, Blaine did a great job explaining all that stuff. All right, Blaine, we talked about you in the intro and uh, dude, we're glad to have you on today. Um, Everyone knows Blaine's a good buddy of ours. And uh, man, we've got, uh, we've got some pretty interesting stuff that I think uh, you guys are going to enjoy hearing from him. So uh, what's up your way, man? Did you have a, a good time watching the Super Bowl? did we had uh probably 25 30 people over to the house and just kind of hung out in the afternoon and played some darts and drank some beer and ate some food and watched the game and it was a good time everybody had a good time were you happy with the result of the game uh it you know not really i mean i would like to have seen i'm not a huge sports fan um but i would like to have seen the Bengals win this one you know, and it looked like they had a pretty good chance there for a while, but the way it goes, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. That's cool. Yeah. You know, it's for, for me anyways, I really have a hard time rooting for LA teams. For some reason, the Rams, I don't dislike as much as other, other LA teams. Um, do you guys feel the same way? Like, do the Rams feel like an LA team to you guys or no? Totally. yeah they really yeah i was really rooting for the Bengals, and and i'm like (laughs) blaine i'm i'm like i could really care less but for some reason i was rooting for the Bengals. so now matt stafford all the way man he he did his time in detroit city like i don't think he was on he didn't play on any of the lions teams that went oh and 16 i don't think but he put a lot of time in down there so I'm, i'm okay with seeing him at the top that's cool yeah so Blaine, you're the uh, you're the you're the president of the Arizona Bass Federation, right? Uh, Arizona Bass Nation. I heard you guys talk about that before. When when you talk about the federation per se, there's there's two organizations. There's the Arizona Bass Nation, which is partnered up with BASS, and then you have the Bass Federation or TBF, which is the old EverStar or not EverStar, but FLW side of the federation and both are still going um but the arizona bass nation uh is linked with bass and that's the one where you have a chance to ultimately qualify for the Bassmaster classic if you you know if you make it far enough gotcha okay I, for some reason i thought they were both 
called Federation. So that, thanks for clearing that up, dude. I'm sure there were a couple guys in the last episode <laughs> saying, there he is again, saying the wrong thing again. So thank you, dude. We're, we're just old school. It was always Federation years ago. So <laughs> It was, wasn't it? Yeah. It sounds yeah. like a wrestling organization to me. That sounds like why it should be Federation. It's exciting. It's like people get a belt. They should get a belt instead of a trophy. No kidding. Get a well, and I, I think I think you guys I think you guys are correct. They they used to call kind of both of them the federation, you know, and that was the the state level anglers to to qualify and move on to the regional or national championships. And I I think it was a little confusing to a point, and they, you know, I don't remember how long it was um, ago, but it used to be the Arizona Bass Nation Federation. You know, and then the other one was called the Bass Federation. So I think that's why they kind of switched to the Arizona Bass Nation and then the Bass Federation. So it just kind of left those two entities separate. I fished them so long ago, there was only one. So that it had to be what, when FLW come around, like in what, 97? I don't know how soon they, they put that stuff together, but that had to be when, you know, the switch was, I would imagine. Hmm. That's cool, dude. I think, so yeah, I how think you're it, right on that. Right on. What is it like now? So you, you've been a tournament fisherman for forever, Blaine. When I met you, I, I just met you as a tournament fisherman. What is it like now, like running tournaments or, or, or being part of the organization rather than fishing? Do you, uh, is there times when you wish you were out there fishing or do you enjoy actually organizing and, and, and doing that role? Um, a little, a little bit of both. Um, I, I've always had an immense amount of respect for tournament organizations and tournament directors. Um, I used to work in the archery industry years ago before I got on the fire department and we hosted a couple, well, we hosted several large regional archery tournaments and championships and just just the logistics of them working with BLM and forest service on permits and insurance companies and registration, the, the logistics, even on a 25 or 40 boat weekend derby, I think a lot of anglers take for granted all the time. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes so that people can just roll up to a parking lot at five 30 in the morning, pay their money and go out <laughs> and enjoy the day. Yep. So I, 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 I enjoy both sides. I, I still enjoy fishing myself. I'm, I'm still a competition junkie. I mean, I'll get out of tournament fishing heavily for a little while and then I get back in it and I'm just a competitive person like most all of us. So I, I still enjoy the tournament side this year. I'm kind of stepping back from fishing the Bass Nation myself. I'm still probably going to fish an event here or there. Um, but I'm just trying to focus on the efforts of the tournament because it, after doing it, this was my second year as president and it last year, I realized the, just the time and the time it takes to get things done. And then, you know, you'd be out on the water practicing, you know, the one day or two days that you get before a derby and, you know, the phone starts ringing. So-and-so's having boat issues. So-and-so can't fish. They're sick, you know. So then I'm dealing with all that on the water and it just, you know, it's part of the, it's part of the job and I accept those responsibilities, but it, it deters and detracts a lot from your own personal fishing. So 
I just kind of step back this year and going to take more of a support role for the anglers and the organization and the tournaments and, and just try and do the best we can to put on the best tournaments we can and, and hopefully grow the best nation by the end of the year. Blaine, can you talking about growing it? Can you talk a little bit about what it would take for someone to, let's say they've never fished tournaments or they've just dabbled in it, but they want to fish the, the bass nation. What, what do they need to do to get involved? As a sure. boater or let's, as let's a non-boater? Start. Yeah, let's, let's start from the very beginning. So to get into the Arizona Bass Nation tournaments, you have to belong to a club in Arizona that's affiliated with the Arizona Bass Nation. So there's, right now there's seven or eight, you know, nine different active clubs that are participating in the Arizona Bass Nation. So you can go to the website, um, www.azbassnation.com. Uh, my contact number's on there. There's some other club president contact numbers on there. If somebody was wanting to get into this and get some information, I would say the first thing is to go to the website, look around, and just glean some of the information from there. Once you become a club member or a member of a club, then you have national and state dues that you have to pay to be able to participate. It's $30 national dues and it's $30 state dues. You pay your state dues to your club president. They'll submit them, turn your paperwork in, and then you're a member of a club and eligible to fish the Arizona Bass Nation tournaments um, as a boater or a non-boater. You know, we fish a, a draw format, boater, non-boater, both five fish limit. Uh, boaters are competing against the boaters. Co you know, non-boaters are competing against the non-boaters. Um, it's $140 all in for a tournament with the options. Um, we have a combined weight team option. We have an angler option and then a big fish option. You know, they're lower entry fee tournaments. They're a little bit lower payouts than, um, you know, other tournament tournaments that are out there. But the format of the Arizona Bass Nation is really, you're competing for one of the qualifying spots on the state team. Now, the Arizona Bass Nation has six, we, we schedule six qualifying tournaments throughout the year, three in the spring, three in the fall, and then we usually try and have an open tournament or two to help raise funds to support the state team. Out of the six qualifiers, you have one throwout for the state team. So you're going to score your highest five out of six tournaments for qualification of the state team. And then we're going to qualify 10 boaters, 10 non-boaters, and one alternate on the boater and non-boater side. So we're like, we're just getting ready to take the, the state team to regionals um, in about a week and a half over at Havasu. Uh, it's the first, it's the kickoff of the regional championships for BASS. Those anglers that have qualified is off of last year's tournaments. So this, we just had our first qualifier uh, Saturday at Roosevelt. That's the start of qualifying for the 2023 regionals and national championship. So if you went through, let's just say this year, an angler started Saturday, you know, they make the state team next year, they fish the regionals. Then at regionals, the highest qualifying voter and non-voter qualify to go 
to the national championship from each state. So regardless of where you finished at regionals, you could finish first or or 50th. If you're the highest finishing angler, voter or non-voter for Arizona, you're going to go to the national championship. So then if you get to the national championship and you, let's just say our voter from Arizona wins the national championship, they're going to qualify to fish the Bassmaster Classic. They would actually fish and qualify for the 2024 Classic for what we're starting right now. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a, it's a long process and you look at it and you're like, that almost looks impossible until you look back and you look at, I mean, I can think of one gentleman by the name of Steve Lund. Hasn't he been to the classic twice? He has. Yeah. Uh, I don't, and I know he don't went once. Once. Okay. But he's been to the nationals. I don't know how many times and a bunch of those guys. I mean, just year after year. And I mean, Josh and I've talked about him and Nick. I mean, like if, I mean, I think Josh said, if you weren't fishing full time, that's the circuit you'd fish. I mean, it's, or those type of circuits, cause there's an end game, you know? Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of extremely good anglers in Arizona, um, that, that fish the nation, the Bass Nation for that opportunity for the regionals, the nationals. And I mean, look at the, the one that comes to mind right now is, um, Justin Kirk, you yeah. know, he qualified last year. He actually fished, I believe, Nevada's region because living over at Havasu, it's a lot closer for him to to qualify out of Nevada. But, you know, he he went all the way through the deal and fished the Bassmaster Classic. It's a it's a very, very competitive field because of what, you know, um the carrot in front of the donkey. You know, it's it, it's the Bassmaster Classic is why people are participating in this not solely but the extremely competitive anglers that's that's the end goal i mean you're you know and it's a it is it's a long tough hard road i mean the the three bass or the three bass nation anglers that i believe they qualify three out of the national championship for the Bassmaster classic i mean my hats are off to them you know it's it's a lot of hard work and they've gone up against you know, a ton of extremely good anglers, especially when you get to the national championship. I mean, you're fishing for three spots out of about 55 or 60 of the top angler in that state across the entire country almost. You know, it's quite an achievement. Yeah, it's it also it's a fun deal coming up. I mean, look at like those regional tournaments. I did regionals one time and I mean, it was an absolute blast. I remember that tournament like it was yesterday and it was almost 30 years ago. So it, it, it's a good avenue for, for, you know, people just to go have good experiences. And then also, you know, we talk about, we heavily talk about like the boater side, but how about the non-boater side? What a great way to get into tournament fishing. I was going to say the same thing. that's what I was just going to touch on next. I mean, you know, we kind of focused on, you know, the boater side of it, but there's, there's also the non-boater side, which is an excellent, excellent avenue for somebody getting in the sport of bass fishing that doesn't have a boat, doesn't know a lot of people, hasn't fished very many tournaments um, or any tournaments to be able to come in at the entry level and, and kind of have 
an organization and anglers kind of take them under the wing and and show them the ropes or teach them the way you know it it can be intimidating rolling up to a parking lot and registration and and all that your very first tournament you know our our registrations are done mostly online all online just about you know our our sign up period is a week before the tournament you know so you've already paid your fees signed up gotten in all your options you get your pairing partner you know it it gives the opportunity for the non-boaters to have you know a couple three or four or five days if they're able to talk to their boater and just say hey you just have a an idea of what we may be doing this weekend you know they kind of prepare over the next couple days um and then not having the pressure you know you're fishing for yourself so it's not like you're letting somebody down if i don't catch fish but it's an excellent opportunity and way for for new anglers to get into an organization um you know fish competitively you're fishing for a little bit of money but man you're going to be able to learn a lot and the the field in the arizona bass nation i i really feel that any one of the boaters could win any one of the tournaments any given day it's just who has a good day and who has a bad day um whose fish bite whose don't but there is an extremely large amount of good anglers and most of those guys are very helpful to their coes. You know, they're going to they're gonna help them out and advise them and, um, you know, help teach them. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're fishing for yourself. So you kind of, you know, there's a lot to learn off the back of the boat. Makes a lot of sense. It's, everyone that is getting involved is getting a lot out of that, right? The, the team tournaments are fun, but the Bass Nation, the Federation style tournaments to me um, have so much to offer as far as growth as an angler, just like you're talking about whether you're a co-angler that's fishing his first tournament, whether you're a boater that is taking his first step into the boater realm, which you see a lot of at with the Bass Nation and the Federation, and also that ex extremely experienced boater that maybe has a job doesn't have the, uh, you know, has, has a job, has a family, um, doesn't have the availability to be taking weeks and weeks and weeks off to go fish the Opens or Toyota open. Series. You can can fish an extremely competitive circuit with a really good possible end game. So uh, it's got a ton to offer. And uh, go ahead, Nick, because I know you got some experience with it too. Yeah, I'd say that's where you forced me to start tournament fishing, Josh. You gently nudged me in that direction and you can start with just about no experience whatsoever because that was me. I remember my first one was at Havasu and I wasn't very good at backing a truck and trailer down the ramp. I was super nervous about that. And I only hit two or three parked cars in the parking lot when I parked it for them, <laughs> you know, and then, and then we go out on the lake and, uh, you know, it was Havasu in springtime, which is arguably maybe the Not most fun. fun. Yeah. Maybe the least fun spawn by ever. And uh, I had drawn a, an Arizona, Oh, gee, it was kind of like Rob is now, but this guy's 15 years prior. And uh, it was so much fun, man. Just like he had like a, a salty demeanor. But by the end of the day, we were having a great time. And uh, I witnessed him having to take a bathroom stop up on the bank. And it got he oh, had hey, some issues. Tell and, the uh, story without telling who it is. Just tell the story without saying who it is. I, well, yeah, it was amazing. You know, I'm like two hours into my first tournament morning and 
I'm finally maybe starting to stop being level 14 nervous. And I didn't hit anybody in the parking lot, but I was really worried about driving someone else's truck and boat. Like I had survived all of that. And we're like going down the bank and all of a sudden the guy's like, I have to take crap. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Like it happens to all of us humans. Go ahead, man. And he went up there and like 10 minutes goes by. And then all of a sudden I hear a lot of loud, frustrated noises and then you know rustling around then he comes back down i just kept casting off the back deck i mean you know shoot you can drag a drop shot in any cove in march at havasu and probably catch 12 pounds so i just kept fishing and i was like everything good man he's like no not at all i pissed all <laughs> over my pants <laughs> and sure enough he did so that really reduced my nerves because i watched the guy who to me at that point was like I don't know, like the most experienced badass tree. You know, I didn't know he was. And it's was like, all right, well, cool. Everyone's human. He's, he's going to fish in pee pants all day and I'm, I'm going to do my thing. And I actually went on to have a great tournament. It was, it was a lot of fun. My next day draw was awesome. I got, I don't remember where I finished, but it wasn't at the bottom. I caught fit. Oh, you know, you know the next day was that now I'm forced myself to remember this. I actually, I'm still friends with the guy I fished the second day and had a great day. It was a three fish limit for me back then. And I had like 11 pounds. I had two big fish and it was badass. Like it was, it solidified it, man. I fished that for a couple years, and I loved it. It was great. And, hey, one more thing to piggyback Nick Solaire's story there, but, like, a lot of these tournaments are – they're not week-long tournaments, but a lot of them are around the state. So you end up doing some overnight stays, uh -huh. which you don't get as much in a normal team tournament where you're driving an hour from your house and fishing, you know, from first light till three and coming home. A lot of these, you, you go the night before for a meeting, you go pre-fish the day before. So you're camping, you're staying in a hotel. And it's just, again, dude, those memories of doing that, camping out at the lake with your buddies at a tournament there's just nothing better than that. Some of the best memories of my life. And, uh, you know, you get that with, with these tournaments compared to a local team tournament, like just the adventure is a step beyond fishing a club or a, a team tournament, right? You've never had a good time until you go to the pumpkin center bar on a Friday night in April with a bunch of fishermen. It, it's, you know, shuffleboard, and mixed drinks have never been more fun than when you're with a bunch of, you know, fishermen doing your thing. It's, it's fantastic. I agree with that. hundred percent. So Blaine, are they, uh, are, are they all one day tournaments this year? Or do you have any two dayers mixed in? So Arizona Bass Nation is we do all one day tournaments. Okay. Um, our next tournament is uh, March 12th at Havasu. Then we go to, we're actually going to go to Apache this year in April. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, it should be a good time of year. Some decent numbers of fish are there. We should, we should see some, some decent weights and some decent numbers. And then we take a, you know, we have an open tournament, uh, open team tournament in May at Roosevelt, May 14th. And then in the fall, then we take a break through the summer and then we pick back up for September at Martinez. Then we go to Alamo in October and back to Roosevelt in November and that finishes off the season. Cool. Well, dude, I mean, Hey, we've, uh, we've given it a big stamp of approval as far as the Federation goes and you've laid it out really well as far as how it works, how to get involved. If someone is listening and is thinking about fishing, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can go, they can go straight to the website and there's uh arizonabassnation.com. My contact number's on there. They can feel free to call me and 
you know, geographically in Arizona, like you were saying, we travel around. We have some clubs in Tucson. We have clubs in Yuma. We have clubs in Lake Havasu. We have clubs here, you know, and we try to put members with clubs that are kind of in their geographical area. And it's not like we really have anything going on here, but if somebody wants to pair up and, and drive together to an event or, or go practice for an event out of their own club, that helps a lot, you know, and just, just to touch, you know, like Nick's story about being a non-boater. Um, we've seen several of our non-boaters every year, you know, step up to the boater ranks after, after fishing for a year or two, you know, they get in it, they like it. They finally, they're able to get a small boat, you know, they move up to the front of the boat. So it, the system works, you know, and, and there's a lot to be learned. And, and like Nick said, there's a lot of awesome people out there. Um, you know, just a quick story on how Rob and I met Rob and I actually met at a boat show. You remember that Rob? I do. Like it was yesterday. And that was probably, how old is Boyd? He's 22. So it was, it was probably, probably 23, what, 20, 24 years ago, right? Yeah, 20, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, you know, and Rob and I, you know, we exchanged numbers at the boat show. We just kind of hit it off and got talking. And, you know, years later, you know, we've, we've elk hunted together. We've fished together. We've ridden bikes together. We've, you know done different projects together and that's just kind of the unique thing about the outdoors how it how it brings people together you know yeah. i i actually I, I actually traveled with rob for a year or two when he was doing the bass opens as he calls it back in the monofilament days <laughs> yep. um yeah he's still in those the days monofilament bro. era Blaine got I, to I, witness I, my he got to wit witness my last couple years fishing the western Bassmasters and um, he got to see all the good and a bunch of the bad. I'm, Did I'm he ever getting salty by that point? Oh, I was really uh, salty I, I at that say, point. I wouldn't say there was much of the bad, and I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> Rob. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Rob props because he doesn't give himself enough props at times. He's, he's an incredible angler and a very, very good outdoorsman. Hi, right, Josh. Mute um, Blaine. No one wants to hear that. Mute him. <laughs> <laughs> and and fishing off the back of the boat, I I learned a ton from Rob. We were able to fish different, you know, Clear Lake, the shoot the Columbia River. I mean, Havasu. I mean, just all the various fisheries you go to. But just seeing how Rob approaches the day as a non-boater and traveling with him and being his partner taught me a lot moving into the future because at that point i'd fished a lot of team tournaments but i hadn't fished any real draw type format boat or non-boat or larger regional tournaments and just just the experience i gained from that alone was invaluable but i've i've adopted a lot of things that rob taught me over the years and and one of it is you know and i've heard you guys talk about it on the podcast several times is keep it simple keep it natural you know rob Rob doesn't really overthink the lake, but he's very good about reading the conditions and, and putting a natural presentation in front of a fish. And that goes a long ways day in, day out. And he's, he's an incredible angler that he doesn't give himself enough credit for. Well, thank you, Blaine. I appreciate it. So he's and, blushing. 
I am well, Blaine's right. Blaine's right. Happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, Rob. You got a little secret admirer over there yeah. in the right corner of the screen. Yeah, oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm flat out saying I got a man crush on Rob. There's no there we go. Oh, he is blushing. This is great. All right, Blaine, you're welcome back anytime. You've got the power to make Rob blush. You're welcome anytime. That's funny. <laughs> hey, hey well, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Man, yeah, we're, we're two weeks out of practice speaking all over each other again. Yeah. But hey, um, to take it, so that's awesome stuff about the Federation, Blaine. And thank you for breaking it down, man. Another thing that I think is uh, really cool about what you do and kind of the way you've set things up for yourself is, uh, dude, you've been fishing forever, but man, you've been with the fire department for a long time. And I think being a fireman is I know it's a, it's a hard job and it's a dangerous job, but I think it's one of the coolest gigs out there. As far as, you know, if you're, if you're an outdoorsman, um, you like, you like being outdoors, you like being around the guys, you like having time to get out into the outdoors. Um, I think being a fireman can be an awesome career, you know, and I, we have a lot of younger listeners too, that um, are maybe, looking for a career path. Can you talk a little bit about how being a fireman has, has enabled you to spend time in the outdoors as well when you do have that extra time? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's kind of a, it, it's, it's been an, an awesome experience. It's been a great career. I've been with the fire department 26 and a half years, um, getting ready to retire in a year and a half, be the July 31st to 2023 will be my last day. Nice. Um, and it has afforded, uh, you know, with our schedule, we work 24 hour shifts, start at seven in the morning, get off at seven the next morning on a, on a rotating schedule, but we work 10 shifts a month and then we have 20 days off and our schedule has four day breaks in between our, our set of working shifts. So it does, it does allow, um, a lot of time and a lot of good time, you know, to be in the outdoors, you know, the, the, I, I really feel sorry for people who the only time they have to fish is on the weekends because we all know our lakes get extremely busy. Um, and it just doesn't, it, it doesn't give you a lot of days, you know, I mean, they get to fish Saturday, they can fish Sunday morning, and then they got to rush home to get stuff ready for work. You know, my schedule has allowed me, you know, when I'm off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can roll up to the lake Tuesday morning and have three days on a body of water and it's like nobody's there, you know, and it, it really is awesome um, from that aspect just to be able to get out in the less traffic times. And I, I don't take that for granted at all because I see it with my boys, you know, I have two young boys that are, well, they're 25 and 28. But, uh, you know, they're, they call it the, the Monday through Friday, nine to five schedule. And I just see the difficulties for them on that schedule, trying to get out and participate in the outdoors. And it's a challenge, you know, it truly is. Makes sense. That's something that I didn't really think about, but yeah, having those days during the week, it's a, it's a heck of a nice break, not having to deal with the craziness on the weekends. Yeah. And then when hunting season yeah. rolls around, you can trade shifts and, get it to where you could hunt an entire two week or three week hunt. And I've seen Blaine do that many a times. And what a, what a great opportunity. Actually, all of my 
firefighting firefighting buddies are able to do that and it's a pretty cool gig as far as that goes but like josh said earlier it's not an easy career it's not for the faint at heart that's for sure it's uh it's something that's that's we we respect and uh, appreciate your your service so no doubt Are there a bunch of guys at your department that are outdoorsmen also, Blaine? Um, we have. Yeah, I mean, there's a fair amount. Not as many as you would think, but there's a, a fairly large amount of guys that, that hunt. Um, some a lot more serious than others. I mean, just like in any sport, you have your ultra-competitive people, and then you have more of your participatory people. Um, but we don't have a ton of guys that that fish or fish competitively. We only... I, I can only think of maybe, gosh, maybe even only two or three wow. different guys that that are out consistently fishing tournaments. And I don't, you know, I know other other departments. Um, you know, just name that comes to mind, Justin Patty. You know, he's a Phoenix fireman, um, done extremely well both in his professional career and guiding and tournaments. And there's a few, um, but not as many as you think. You know, and I don't know why that is. So Matt Shura was the first guy to kind of introduce the idea to me. And uh, we've had Matt on. He's the, he was one of our first, uh, first guests we ever interviewed. And he's, he's famous on the podcast for telling the story of, of getting hooked in the dinger by a uh, topwater <laughs> bait. But uh, I remember the first time I ever met Matt, he was, was selling the idea earlier. He, he's like, man, I was a teenager. He's like, seriously when you get out of high school look at becoming a fireman he's like if you like to fish he's like you can make good money be able to afford to do it and you'll have the time to do it and he goes i love the lifestyle of uh of being able to do this so i don't know if you're if you're a young guy i think it's pretty awesome honorable uh job to to check out if if you're looking if you're not sure what to do you know moving forward Oh, absolutely. And right, right now is a, a very good time for a young man or woman who's looking to get into the fire service because the, the numbers of applicants and, and we've seen this cyclical with the economy. And hmm. what, what I mean by that is when the economy's good and everybody's making money, um, the public safety positions aren't very well sought out because it, you know, we have a state, you know, we have a stable, good income, but you're not going to get rich in in the fire service or, you know, the police departments in public safety. It's just, it's not a, um, it's not a career path that you're getting in to make money. You're, you know, you, ha you have to have other reasons, um, you know, and, and have that want to just serve others and help the public. I mean, that's got to come first and foremost, because yep. it, the pay is not, it's not bad, but it's, you know, compared to the private sector for roles and responsibilities, it, it doesn't even come close. And, you know, just, just the recent numbers with some of the organizations around the Valley, um, you know, Phoenix Fire, largest in the state, one of the largest departments in the country, usually has about 4,500 to 6,000 applicants when their testing process comes around. They just completed a testing process and they only got a thousand applications. Wow. You know, there's, That's there's other departments that are, 
yeah, there's other departments that are seeing severely reduced numbers as well. But it's like I said, it follows the economy. And right now the economy is good and people can make good money in the private sector and jobs are 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 pretty readily available. So, you know, it's an excellent opportunity for somebody young looking to get into public safety, whether it's police, fire, um, because one, the, the testing pool is at, a, is at a much lower number right now, you know, so it increases your odds, you know, and it's, I'll just, I'll just throw out the year I got hired, you know, like I just said, Phoenix Fire usually has five to 6,000. The year I got hired with Mesa, there was 27 to 2,800 applicants. They hired 23 positions that year. Wow. So you have less than a 1% chance of getting hired the day you sign that application. So you can see how extremely competitive it was, you know, and it's still extremely competitive, but there's a large group of people in my age and years of service that was established when a lot of these departments were growing rapidly, you know, 25 or so years ago. So you have some large numbers that were being hired back then. Well, now we're all getting ready to retire. So it's another big wave of people leaving public safety and now there's a big wave coming in. So it's, it's a great time to test right now. It really is. I, I had no idea, but that I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's a great opportunity. Hmm. Well, that's cool, man. Um, dude, one other thing I wanted to thank you for before we let you go, we don't want to keep you too long, but I wanted to thank you on the podcast, give you a shout out on the podcast for uh, Blaine was the master chef at our anglers happy hour get together last month up at Roosevelt Lake. And uh, he smoked up pulled pork. He, he brought a trailer full and uh, did just did an amazing setup for us, dude. So I wanted to thank you on here um, just for all the work that you and your son, Nate did. It was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, no worries. We, uh, we've done it quite a few times and we kind of, we, we enjoy doing it. And it was, that was a great time. It was a good turnout. Um, I'm sure next year it'll, it'll be two or three times the size. It was a good time. Awesome. Heck yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're already thinking about next year and, uh, and really looking forward to it big time. Do you we guys just need the fishing to be good. We haven't we need picked to, up since then, dude, up there. It's, it's actually crazy. But we'll, we'll do more stuff uh, next year, maybe, maybe related to the fishing, but um, it, was, it was a blast. And uh, man, we really appreciate you uh, coming up then, taking the time now. Do you guys have anything else for Blaine before we let him roll with the rest of his day? No, no man, just, just yeah. yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yep, thanks for the... Hey, no worries. Thanks for everything, and we, we appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. How about you, Blaine, yeah, anything we'll before to, we let you roll? Um, no, I was just glad to see that, that Rob got his boat all finished up and he's had it out on the water a couple times and starting to see a little bit of success with the new electronics as he learns them better, and it's kind of cool to see. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's pretty crazy working with the new electronics. And like the first time I went out, it was probably pretty overwhelming. And, and like you said, it's slowly, I'm slowly getting better at it. And that's, that's something we need to mention too, is, um, you know, Blaine does a lot of electronic installs. Um, he's very meticulous and does a phenomenal job. My boat looks like it's brand new after 
he spent almost a week uh, getting everything put together on it and mounting my Garmin units. Um, it's that's something you're going to look into doing more of as you retire, right, Blaine? Yeah, it's uh, it's something I, I enjoy doing. It's um, I, you know, as Rob said, meticulous. Some people would say anal, some would say OCD. Yeah. Probably all of that's true. <laughs> all the above. Um, yeah, but. I, I think it just comes out to the performance of the final product. You know, I mean, I, I take some of these boats apart and, you know, you look at the wiring and man, it looks like somebody tried to tie a shoe 25 times in the bow. And I'm like, it's, it's just crazy how, how some of the stuff is installed, you know, and these new, these new graphs are, you know, it's not just a fishing graph or a, a map or a forward-facing sonar. It's a computer processor, you know, and if you look at the performance of your computers at home, you know, with your, your Wi-Fi or your power source, you know, you can, you can kind of relate a weak Wi-Fi signal to a low-voltage input or a poor install on electronics on your boat. You could buy the best graphs out there, and without supplying good clean power to them with with a with a proper size wire and all your connections good and clean you're not going to get the performance out of the electronics that you're paying for you know and a, a big one that i've noticed and, and we put one of rob's boat is a, is a c-clear power system it's a it's a dedicated um clean power source wired straight from the battery to the graphs so with no other interruptions you know, a lot of the other graphs that we see that are installed on the boats are on power blocks with bilges and radios and horns. Well, that's just another potential interference um, possibility that's going to affect the performance of your graphs. So there's there's a lot to be to be um, looked at when you're putting you know new electronics on a boat and it's it's not just the power system the graphs the hardware the mounting brackets you know i mean rob's been doing this for a very long time and i think it even opened his eyes up a little bit just just to everything that goes into a new a new system and getting it upgraded and some of the challenges of fitting things you know some of it you have to you have to get a little creative just because of the size of the units and the size of the boat yeah, and that's, I mean, my boat's a 2008. It wasn't designed to have two 12-inch units up front. And um, like Blaine said, we had to get a little creative to make it look right, fit right, all that. And um, that was one thing I wanted to bring up about this was, you know, people go to look in their Bass Pro Shop catalog and they price out their Garmin units or their Lowrance units and they're like, okay, I'm all in for this price. And you need to add in all the extra stuff that needs to go along with it. One thing like first and foremost is the C-Clear wire harness, like Blaine said, he will not do an install without that. And I don't blame him. Why would you? Why would you want to have someone have bad performance on an install? Yeah, what's the point of doing it? Yeah, it makes a big big difference. so yeah, just, you got to factor in all that stuff. Um, one little thing that I went against Josh's, <laughs> Josh said, you have to mount your rear transducer onto your hull, which I agree, but I ended up getting the, um, 
transducer saver bracket just because I don't want to tear it off and have to buy another $500 transducer. So, um, but I'm anxious for Josh to get in the boat and see if, you know, what, what performance, if I'm giving anything up, you know, so there's just, there's a lot to these electronics that people are not factoring in, you know, like I said, when they're first looking at them. So, but uh, thanks to Blaine for helping me out with that. Yeah. The one, the one thing we, I did, the only one part I wanted to touch on is it real quick. And with the electronics that are out there today and the transducers that are there, especially with the forward facing, um, for years and years and years, we've thrown a bunch of zip ties and electrical tape on our, on our trolling motor shafts, you know, to hold our transducer wires and kind of route them. Um, you, you cannot do that with the forward facing sonar cables. You will actually crush the cable with a zip tie and can ruin the total performance with all three brands, whether it's Lorance, Summonbird, Garmin, um, and you just took out a $1,500 transducer with a 50 cent zip tie. So if you are getting into some of the new electronics, make sure you do your homework, um, ask the right questions, go to, there's a lot of great YouTube videos from a lot of different companies and webinars um, but the last thing you want to do is ruin a $1,500 trans, $1, transducer over a, a cheap zip tie. So just kind of make sure you know what you're doing and take the precautions putting these new units together as well. That's great advice, man. Yeah, you've obviously put a ton of time and effort into learning the ins and outs. And uh, that will be cool for uh, another cool little transition for you as you have more time after retiring to do more of it. But um I guess if anyone's interested in, in reaching out to Blaine about this too, you can come to us. You could always reach out to us and we'll put you in touch. Um, and I guess as you want to do more, Blaine, we'll be happy to share your info out to, uh, to do some installs for folks. Yeah, too. Question, whatever. I'm not a huge social media person, but I am on Instagram just at Blaine ready. So somebody has a question, uh, concern, whatever. I've been more than glad to help. I don't have a hundred percent of the answers, but, I'm kind of a um, a research geek too, you know. Somebody will throw something out, and I, you know, in my spare time, which I don't have a ton sometimes, but I enjoy getting on and and trying to find the answer to it because it just helps me in the future as I install other electronics on other boats too. So, if somebody wants to reach out, they're more than welcome to DM me on Instagram. That's cool. Heck yeah, Blaine uh, Blaine Ruddy on Instagram, guys. Well, Blaine, that's awesome, dude. We appreciate all your time. This was actually uh, obviously a really, really interesting interview. Um, you got some really cool insights on a lot of stuff, man. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate your time and good luck with uh, the rest of the year with Bass Nation. Hopefully you get a few guys signing up after listening to this and listen guys, even though they've already had one tournament, just jump, jump right in. You know, it, if, if you think about, if you think about it and Hey, you missed a tournament, can't make the state team. That's okay. Just start fishing them get used to it, get your toes wet. And uh, by next year, you'll be ready to go and try to, and make you that get a throwaway. Game. So it's all oh, good. Really? If you oh, really? Pr- didn't didn't you say that. that Blaine? Yeah, it, exactly. You get one throw out for the year to make the state team. So you're, oh, you're good. You still have five qualifiers ahead of you for the rest gotcha. of the year to try and make the state team for next year. So now is the time to jump in for sure. You actually even have a chance. So that's great. 
Awesome, Blaine. Well, dude, we'll let you roll, but thanks so much for your time, and uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me on. It was a great conversation. You guys have a good day. You too, See you. Thanks, man.